You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Minari. David, look! They're weevils! Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? I'm going to be What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He growing things good, doing things right? Yes. I don't like grandma. Grandma smells like Korea. Yeah. What about grandma smell? We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're gonna lose the crop. everybody you were just listening to the trailer for minari and the story is as follows a korean family moves to arkansas to start a farm in the 1980s the film is starring steven yun han yi ri alan kim noel kate Cho, yun yun jun and will Patton. it is written and directed by lee isaac chung here to join me for this podcast review i have lauren lamagna hello hello dan bear i'm not pretty i'm good looking and Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. <laughs> All right, everyone. So, Minari. Finally. I feel like I've been waiting a life age to talk about this movie with all of you. <laughs> I saw this movie back at its world premiere at Sundance in January. So, it's been almost a full calendar year since my first viewing of this film. I am very fortunate to have seen it multiple times since then. It's one of my favorite movies of this year. I knew it right when I saw it that this was going to be a contender for my top 10 this year. And it is a movie that has found its way into the hearts of so many people out there. It's the little movie that could this year from A24, much like The Farewell was last year that also premiered at Sundance. So now that it is being seen a little bit more now by some people, it's not still widely available that's going to more so happen in early 2021 but there have been a few virtual screenings it's played at a few festivals throughout the year so we've seen minari let's talk about minari why don't i pass it over first to tom what did you think of minari oh wow this is such a beautiful movie uh it's about so many things it's certainly about family and it's a depiction of family life that really rang true This is not uh, an idealized movie family. On the other hand, it's not a family that bitch at each other all the time. 
Um, although there are very honest discussions and sometimes very heated discussions about the dad's dream and what that has done to the sacrifices that had to be made by the other members of the family. And, but I especially was struck by the level of specific detail in it. Um, just think about how that trailer gets decorated as the film progresses. You know, we begin with a bear trailer and all of a sudden you begin to just notice things on the shelves and they're so personal and they, they, they suddenly, it's suddenly the, the trailer is their home unexpectedly. So, and you might think that such specific details might be put you off a little bit, but I find the more specific it got, the more universal it felt to me. And that is not something that's easily done. And, uh, Lee Isaac Chung really nails it here, and it is just one of the best films of the year for me. All right, all right. Let's hear next from Lauren LaMagna. It's so cool, Matt, that this is we're almost at your like one year anniversary of seeing this film because I saw Minari three days ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I saw it through um, the Lincoln Center showing. I snagged those tickets as soon as I can, and. Me and my computer, Saturday, chilled out. And this movie is, it's just so beautiful. I really do describe it kind of like a painting or a free verse poem where there's just so much and so, and it's so simple, but it does tell such a deep and amazing story. It's incredibly multi-layered. It is the most beautiful film I've seen of the year. It has the best score that I've seen of this year. And I'm pretty sure it is the most stellar ensemble cast that I've seen this year. And I love it so much. And I really do feel that it is amazing in its simplicity. And it does say so much in its simplicity. And it's great with that writing and with that direction. And all the actors are aware uh, that less is more because it really is when we allow these characters just to sit in this environment and just to be in this environment. You get an amazing story. And I really do feel that... Um, I think you could teach like a whole damn class about this film and you're still just scratching the surface. It's kind of like writing that reminds me of, you know, like someone like, you know, Tori Morrison or Barry Jenkins even where there's so little, but yet there is so much. And even if you analyze it and analyze it and analyze it, you're still going to miss something and someone else is going to get a totally different point of view, which I think is so beautiful. And I just, I love it. It's a great, great piece of art all right dan bear i um worship at the altar of emil moseri yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) um like the the last black man in san francisco was one of the most beautiful scores of last year and now this is one of the most beautiful scores of this year and i watched it for a second time tonight after having seen it as part of the Hamptons Film Festival earlier in the year. And it's just, it's so beautifully made and so, so simple and almost like folkloric in a way. Like when, Lauren, you were so right when you were talking about some of those authors, like Tony Morrison's and stuff like that. It, it does feel like this kind of, like an Amer- classic American novel that was adapted to a film, but it's not. <laughs> it's an original story, and I just everything that Tom was saying about the specificity and all this stuff—it's so true. But I, 
I just love how big hearted it is. This is a movie that just really genuinely loves every single one of its characters and the place they're in. And even though it, you know, goes to this kind of tragic ending, but it also makes it kind of like a happy ish kind of ending. I'm so impressed by it. And it's beautifully made, beautifully performed. And I, I just can't stop thinking about the score and how it elevates every single moment in which it's used. This movie is so content to walk where others would run. And I, I really love it. Sorry. I'm like tearing up a little now thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely agree that Emil uh, Masseri's, score uh will definitely elicit some strong emotions from people who hear it it's one of the best scores of the year and going even beyond that actually the movie itself i think is one of the best all-around american stories of the year as well because of how much it does epitomize what the american dream used to be to a lot of people in the time period in which it is set here in the 1980s, but also what it should still be for so many people. But unfortunately, through recent years, I fear that our perception to other uh, people and other countries outside of ours has been tainted. And I, I do think that this movie gives off a bit of hope that an immigrant family can move to a tiny town somewhere in the heart of the country and build a life for themselves. And yes, it's going to be tough, but being able to kind of rest on the bedrock of family as the thing that will help push you through those struggles and help you to build and regrow is something that I just find to be so uplifting and hopeful. And like I said, even though it's a period film, I do feel that in many ways it is a movie that is reminding us of not just what our better selves used to be. You know, we talk about nowadays, well, not we, we, but a part of the country talks about make America great again. And of course they have their own idea of what that means. This this is literally what, when people think about the greatness of America, it, it, it is family stories like Minari, <laughs> truly, or at least that's like that's how the movie read for me, at least. No, I totally get that. It is. It is the American dream. It is how it has in a way that similar sort of like pioneer spirit that um, Nomadland is about, but in a very different way. This is about, you know, the pioneers who moved to a place and settled and built something. Right. Something from nothing. Exactly. That would support their community. And I love the different versions of what community is in this movie. Well, can it's, we, can, and can I just say in regards to that really quick, kudos to Lee Isaac Chung for not taking his screenplay when it comes to the community aspect to places where, quite frankly, I think we've just seen it time and time and time again. You know, how many times did you guys see the Yi family interact with um, somebody outside of, you know, their own community uh, and and think to yourselves, oh, we're going to get a racist character, aren't we? And we, we don't ever really 
get that in this movie. No. Isn't that just so refreshing? (laughs) And I don't know how true that is to the time period and the area or not. I genuinely don't know, but it was just so nice to see that I didn't care if it was, you know, accurate. I, the whole thing feels so specific that it, I feel like it has to be accurate. And I just love that, you know, the community in this movie, it's their family, it's the larger Korean community in the area where they are. And it comes to mean also the larger community, you know, where they go to church and everything, the man they hire to help them out on the farm. It's, <sighs> and there's, you're right. There's not a bad word to be said about anyone. There is no real prejudice. It's just, they sort of, I love how the kids like look at the other kids a little funny but then after about a minute or two, they're just like, want to hang out? Yeah. The conflict is not so much with um, other people within the community. The conflict of this movie is the family unit and not even so much the family unit against like themselves. It's the family unit going against mother nature, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, and their own sort of competing desires what they you know how mom and dad think the family should live yeah mom has one dream and dad has another well i i think what it comes down to is like monica uh and jacob both want the same outcome for their family yes but jacob is going about it the way that is you know obviously very very difficult and takes a lot of work and a lot of struggle and a lot of labor um and i i do think that you know Monica, while understanding at first, you know, you put that on a long enough timeline after a while and you you do start asking some questions, right? When is the money going to come in? When is this going to finally pay off? You know, how long are we going to have to go without water? Our son has a heart condition and we have that hanging over our heads. There, there's a lot of stress there. And I, I can fully, fully understand that even though the movie never wisely never paints her or him as a villain against each other, you, you, you just always understand where both sides are coming from in that uh, in that conflict. It also has the feeling of memory. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder how much of this is like Lee Isaac Chung uh, calling upon like his own childhood or, you know, I, I actually haven't, uh, I, I haven't done any kind of reading on that to verify necessarily, but the film definitely has that feeling quality uh dan i believe you mentioned earlier not like storybook quality what, what did you use to describe it before oh it it feels literary like it feels like it was yeah. adapted from a novel like a, a like flannery o'connor or carson mccullers or uh, lauren had mentioned tony morrison it feels like a very specific voice well like the details are there basically so maybe it is him calling yeah. upon his uh past memories then because it just feels so vivid and vibrant in that regard yeah especially like the arkansas landscape it's just so lush and so wide and vast and green and you just really really get a sense for its beauty uh throughout the movie i mean the cinematography in this movie is not what i would consider to be like um, absolutely like jaw-droppingly amazing, but it does a much more of an adequate job of highlighting uh, how great the land, you know, can be once it, it is, um, once the land, once the land is developed. So in talking about the casting of this movie, 
Uh, Steven Yeun is the lead, and obviously everyone will know him from Walking Dead. He was in a film a couple of years ago called Burning, which definitely raised a number of eyebrows. And he's also appeared in Okja, Sorry to Bother You. So he's the name that is carrying this movie ultimately for a lot of people. But the entire ensemble of this movie, top to down, is just absolutely outstanding across the board. Yeah, like I said, it is the strongest ensemble I've seen this year from Steve. And, you know, we I get it. We need a name, and Steven Yeun is great. But um, how do you pronounce the actress who plays the grandma? Yeun Yuzhong, I think. She is amazing. <laughs> that rip woman your heart out. <laughs> rips your heart, makes you laugh, makes you cry, and she just captivates that screen. She steals every single shot she's in, and... That was just a jaw-dropping performance to me. She's remarkable in it. And and the character of the grandma is, for example, so different than the character of the grandma in The Farewell. Yeah, that's true. And it's funny It's funny how the parallels between that movie, like, kind of keep continuing, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. every, every time I was, like, watching this movie unfold, I kept on finding another comparison to make to The Farewell last year. But, I mean, while the two, I think, do... F- you know, could feature, uh, could function as a double feature. I, I, you know, they're two very, very different movies. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in this film, the grandmother initially kind of upends what her normal life was like. Uh, and, uh, the, the grandmother in, um, Chao Zuzen in the, the farewell is the center of the family. Whereas the grandmother here is coming in from another country and, uh, kind of, she has to fit in. And, and has to win over David, um, who thinks that she doesn't behave like a regular grandma. Yeah, and here we talk about, you know, the severing of, you know, the connection to, you know, the motherland, which sometimes happens with, you know, first or second generation Americans. You know, we don't know what it's like from the country our parents are from. So once we do get that connection, it seems foreign to us. So then we're having this conversation, you know, the difference between Asian and Asian American, even though we're in the same family grandma's not behaving like a grandma or the son's not behaving, you know, like a Korean boy. He's like an American boy. So those were interesting, you know, conversations that we were able to see throughout this film. I also love the, um, the scene where grandma comes back and she has, she takes out the, the giant bag of chili powder <laughs> and then the and then the anchovies and Monica just starts like breaking down, crying, breaking down. It's yeah. it's so beautiful. You know, she's not just happy that her mother is here, but it's memories of home. And, you know, probably she's probably been on her own for so long. And it's all this stuff. And um, Hanye Ri is the second time I watched this movie. She that performance stood out to me even more. The the layers that she puts into it over the course of the movie um, in that scene. And then in the later um, scene, when the, they go to, when they get the news from the doctor about, um, about their son's heart condition, mm-hmm. her reaction is not what you're expecting it to be. And she plays it. So it's such an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Her reaction at that moment. And, to know that she's thinking about so many different things and you can see her mind sort of thinking about all the different possibilities that this news has 
opened up now. It's it's ugh. it's dawning on her that basically um, the path that Jacob is now going down and the path that she wants to take her family down now that they don't have this. It's really happening. This exactly. One of this. It's not yeah. an excuse to leave the farm anymore. He's OK. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Han Yiri as well, because Steven Yun is the one that's getting a lot of notices for this. And while I do think that he is a very, uh, very strong presence in this film, I actually think that Han Yiri has maybe the most underappreciated role yeah. in this movie. And I actually was more impressed by her than I was with Steven Yun, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. And it's amazing how much, you know, even beyond as great as those two are, that Alan Kim and Yun Yu Jung steal the movie from them. <laughs> <laughs> that boy is I, adorable. I fell in love with him when I saw him at Sundance dressed up as a cowboy. And I was like, I'm going to love you. And the award for cutest kid of 2020 goes to. <laughs> Oh my God! But but he's genuinely good in it, and he carries that movie for a lot of the the runtime. And speaking of runtime, I mean, you know, at the end of the movie when he does have to run, and I, I just like my my heart breaks into like a million pieces, you know, in that point because oh, with that score, mm -hmm, yeah. you're you're just yeah. so emotionally invested, and you realize that you know they they do say that David is very strong, but. He is showing like in that moment that he is as strong, if not maybe even stronger than his father. And it is just once again, something that is just <laughs> it is designed to absolutely melt your heart. It is so warm. And it does. The chemistry that he has with Yun Yu Jung and the antagonistic relationship, uh, you know, it was interesting because I, I heard before that um, you were saying it's almost like that she has to win him over. And I, I don't even necessarily see it that way. I see it more so as he needs to be more accepting of her. Uh, I, I, I mean, maybe it does go both ways. I don't know. Because she is a cool grandma. <laughs> Let's face it. Like, she's a tremendous amount of fun. I loved watching her watch wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, do you think it might also be something about uh, attention? You know, because he, he, he is a young kid and there's a lot of attention uh, placed on him for being the youngest. And then grandma kind of comes in and all of a sudden the attention is not necessarily on him as much. Do you think it has something to do with that? It could. I mean, he's he's the person whom um, Jacob addresses the most. Uh, mm -hmm. He hardly ever uh, addresses Anne. Yeah, uh, it always seems to be David. That's true. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a reason why he's having trouble with Grandma, though. Yeah, um, it's like it's there's a new person. He doesn't remember her. He was such a baby the last time. Like he saw pictures of her or anything. So and he's moving into her. her she's moving into his house. They're sharing a room. room. Yeah. She looks different. She has all this different food and she's not behaving like how he's been seeing other people's grandmas act. So it's all very different. And so he just he has to warm up to her. And it's also like implied that he was born in America. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So like there's the whole cultural thing. There's this shift in the, a culture that he doesn't understand fully. I mean, he is the others are sort of assimilating into American life, but he was born there. He doesn't know anything else. It's also very interesting, too, that this movie does not necessarily show us. No. Yeah. Like it's talked about, but like it doesn't show us when the Yi family first comes to America and goes to California, for example. They talk about it, but this is about them going to Arkansas for the first time and establishing a life there instead. And I wonder, once again, you know, by cutting that out, if it's a conscious decision on Lee Isaac Chung's part to show us a story that kind of subverts expectation and, like, doesn't exactly give us the familiar beats that we've seen in other films before. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm sure. Like it, it does create this very unique rhythm for itself, and you never really know where it's going to go. Yeah, I also don't think um, Lee Isaac Chung wanted to put this film into that particular box of just you know the immigrant story. It is it is that, but it also is so much more than that. So I think right. the fact that we don't see them, you know, getting off a plane and like not knowing how to like communicate with people and then like trying to figure out you know what's going on for them to show us you know they're just moving to a different location they know this country they know these people i think that allows these characters to have a more rich story as as opposed to just the quote-unquote immigrants assimilating to america and because there's already that rich established history i think that lends to the literary quality that you were mentioning before dan is that they're already so well defined when we meet them because they're shaped by these past experiences. And Mm -hmm. we get a lot of that through uh, dialogue uh, that they have with each other. And the pacing of this movie is one where, you know, it's, it's very quiet through a lot of the movie, actually. And I definitely, you know, if I, you know, surprise, surprise, had one thing that, like, I struggled with, maybe sometimes it was the deliberate pacing, even though I would, you know, say I was never bored watching this movie and I was constantly charmed by the interactions that the family uh, had with each other and other characters. I think that to Lauren's point, the thing that kept me invested the entire time was that the story was subverting expectations constantly and not going in the directions I expected it to go, that it did kind of keep me on my toes as to where it was ultimately going. Agreed. I, I think that... Uh it was a really good idea to confine it into one area um, because you really then focus on the characters and the interactions in a way that a sprawling vista of incidents uh, might not uh, lend itself to. And what what did you guys think of uh, Will Patton as this uh, Jesus-fearing uh, helping hand on the farm for uh, Jacob? What, what did you guys think of his presence in the movie? It's so nice. Yeah, he's a sweetie. Like, I, yeah, nice is an adjective that like is sort of tossed off at movies. Like, it's just a nice movie. It's kind of pejorative, but Minari is nice in like the best possible way. <laughs> and I feel like his character is the biggest example of that. Like, any other movie would have spent much more of its runtime making fun of this character, but. I think he and his performance and the way Lee Isaac Chung directs the scenes with him making appearances in them, it it finds this kind of 
sadness to him that makes him a much more empathetic and real feeling character. He doesn't feel like a caricature, even though he could very easily be. Yeah. And it's so nice to see Will Patton again. True. He's such a wonderful actor. And, you know, he, you know, he has movies here and there, but uh, just to see him be being able to give his all to a role like this, just, just warm my heart. My big thing is that for a religious character to be in your movie, and we know that uh, Monica embraces uh, religion as well. This movie never once is about religion in any way. It's just another characteristic of these people that we are getting to know in this movie. Uh, it, it, it's 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 a presence there for sure, but this movie is not. Uh, it's not undertaking any kind of religious tones to it necessarily. You know what I mean? That you would like read into metaphorically or anything like that, which I, which I also really like. Yeah. 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 There, there are no metaphors and there's not, they go to church, but they don't show any of the service or really any of the prayer. It's just about the church as a place to meet other people in the community and spend time with them, which is a large part of what going to church is. When the preacher literally says, you know, can every, can, can, can you all like rise? And, you know, he remarks, Oh, what a beautiful family. We are so glad you're here. I'm like, isn't that nice? True Southern hospitality. I've missed it. Exactly. Remember when we were, we're a nice country. <laughs> we didn't fear the unknown. We were very kind to our neighbors. Remember those days? Vaguely. And that's what I mean when I say that I really feel like uh, what Lee Isaac Chung has done here is he has made a great American movie about what American values should ultimately be for anyone coming from anywhere in the world to be here. And... I think that that just speaks to the inherent goodness that this movie is putting out there into the world, coupled along with one of the best scores of the year, if not the best, one of the best ensembles of the year, if not the best. And it just kind of accumulates then into one of the best films of the year, if not the best. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. 
and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, final thoughts on Minari. Tom, what do you want to mention that we haven't mentioned? Well, uh, gosh, I, I've just, I just uh, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the young uh, actress who plays Anne. We okay. really didn't talk too much. Um, she is kind of the forgotten character in this. She's the older sister. She, I, I get the feeling she was born in Korea because the uh, grandmother knows her. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And um, she kind of takes wisely takes a slightly recessive role, you know, step backwards because you know Alan with Alan Kim uh, acting opposite him is uh, is sort of a no win situation. So, but but she delivers a very delicate performance. This young woman who is you know just about to become on the verge of adulthood, uh, you could see the struggle she has in how am I going to fit in into this community. And how am I going to find friends, which is something she's been really kind of deprived of. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really I really liked her uh, uh, subtle approach to it. Yeah, I uh, I agree that even though that she's not I I, I think out of all the family members, she's the one that does get probably cast aside the most. But when she is on screen and she has those scenes, she makes the most of them. I definitely agree with you on that. Anything else? All right. and, And I just want to note her name, Noel K. Cho. All right. Lauren, what about you? I think Lee Isaac Chung is a actor's director or he really understands actors well. And I love when a director really trusts his actors because I love the balance of um, him editing him having a close ups of his actors and also allowing them to breathe in wide shots of just them in the environment. I love that balance. I think it's beautiful and it really does show a true trust and a true collaboration between the director and the actor. And you don't see that all that time, much mm-hmm. and it's great but um yeah i love this movie it's like such a nice warm winter movie you know when it's snowing and you just want some soup just watch minari <laughs> dan bear i think my favorite thing about this movie other than the score and alan kim and yunya jung and 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 <laughs> my other favorite thing about it is that it's so adorable for the first like three quarters and then it sucker punches you yeah in that last fourth and you're just like this is such a nice sweet movie and i'm going you're just along for the ride with these characters because they endear themselves to you so quickly and then it hits this point and things start going poorly and you just you're helpless you can only just watch them deal with it as best they can and and i am so impressed that it manages to end being simultaneously tragic and hopeful because we really don't know what's going to happen to them that's uh that's my big thing is the ending of this movie I have watched this movie multiple times and every single time something about the final shot of this movie does not 
always click with me. I know that it's a slow push in (laughs) and I know it's on the Minari and I understand that it's meant to symbolize that from this setback that they have faced that there will be rebirth and they will be able to grow again and there will be success that comes of that, right? But I want you all to think very quickly, if you can, to the final shot that we see of Yun Yu Jung in this movie. Her final close-up. Ooh. It's so good. It is. But is it, though? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm lacking in some form of resolution. But at the same time, to your point, Dan, this movie achieves um, a double whammy of an ending where it is both tragic yet uplifting at the same time. And part of that tragedy is that we don't ultimately know the outcome of the Yi family. All we do know is that they are going to keep on trying. And I think that's the thing that's beautiful about it. You know, like, I I agree with you that the ending doesn't, it doesn't fully work for me. It kind of like... Like, it doesn't feel like it wraps things up. It's not wrapping up, though. Instead of, like, escalating all the way through and ending on a high point, it kind of plateaus a couple scenes, maybe the scene before that. I think the scene between Monica and Jacob, actually, where Monica has like she gives Jacob the ultimatum, basically. Yeah. And then we get the scene of them driving back to the farm and stuff happens. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I feel like the movie hits this. It, it definitely climaxes at the right point and it is very emotional. But then, like I said, the resolution of it, the movie yeah. keeps it open ended to where it's like, all right, you don't we're not going to tell you what happens to the Yi family, but the Minari plant will be a symbol that there is hope. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, I, I kind of wish that there was just ever so slightly just a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. I feel like it it doesn't quite resolve enough for it to be fully satisfying and i i get it though like that's the beautiful thing about it right because that's what life is you Mm -hmm. don't know what's coming around the bend and i think a lot of the movie is about that how you can't really fully be prepared for everything that happens you don't know what life is going to throw at you like the news at the doctor's office for example like you said exactly exactly but this plant is here and even though sometimes you fail or sometimes you succeed the Minari plan is here, so that's proof that the family was there. If you know what I'm saying. So even though there is like death or failure, yes, there is rebirth. The phoenix rises from the ashes, and you just keep going because you know. I know it's like cheesy, but like you know, there, there's always dawn after the darkness or whatever. So like that's what I that's what I get from it at least. Yeah, I I also love that final shot because it's a Korean plant that doesn't exist in America. And it's thriving mm-hmm. by this creek in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. There is something that is very poetic about that and and much needed, you know, in this in this day and age. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the open-ended uh, ending of it because for some reason for me, this is a story that's going to keep going on and going on. And um, I'm, I'm really happy that they did end it that way. At least I was satisfied. I guess really for me, it mostly connects to uh, Yun Yu Jung and what was she thinking? How does she feel in her relationship now with Monica and Jacob in the aftermath of that evening? And 
I, I had questions. I, I think that's where my frustration more so comes from. Not the ultimate outcome of the Yi family in terms of their financial success, but more so uh, the characters. I think that's where I struggled a little bit. Because I also was wondering, too, about Monica and Jacob. Well, I think that's <laughs> a part of the the whole story has kind of been this two steps forward, one step back, or one step back, two steps forward sort of thing. And I think that the, the shape of the plot of this movie is sort of built to reflect that, you know, and that that pattern. They're going to keep on going, and there's going to be uptown, up times and down times, and times where they may hate each other. And like uh, Monica was saying to him in the um, in their little argument, you know, we can't... Uh, and she basically says to him uh, that when like the when things are uh are 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 going well then you know they can just forget about everything else and then like also too if there's money involved and they they're financially successful then that's what's going to save them but she's trying to you know basically let him know that they're going to save each other it's not going to be money that you know saves them or this good fortune that might uh, happen to befall upon them from time to time and i do think that's exemplified yeah. Um, in the next scene where the two of them are in great danger and the two of them do actually save each other. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's a little on the nose, but I think it works. I think it works pretty well. It is. But, and she was saying that in, you know, earlier in the movie, she, or one of them says to the other one, like, that's what they promised to each other when they were in Korea, that they were all that they were going to save each other. They were going to move to America and save each other. Mm-hmm. And that is what ends up happening. Yeah. Even though they've also been sort of dragging each other down a bit. All right. So grade out of 10. Uh, let's hear from Tom. What's the grade? This is one of the best films of the year for, as far as I'm concerned, and I give it a nine. All right. Lauren, what about you? This is such a pretty, pretty painting of a film or like lyrical dance, and I love it so much. Um, it's a nine for me. Dan? Yeah, I was an eight when I first saw it, and now the second time through, it got even better. I am at a nine. And I was a nine in January, and in December, I am a nine again and still as always i like this movie a hell of a lot with the aside of uh, the minor nitpick here or there in terms of the oscar potential for this movie uh this is a very interesting one because this is a24's only contender this year across the board in multiple categories and they do stand a chance with this one to get a couple of different things along the way. You know, you could see this film competing for SAG Ensemble. You could see it competing uh, for various critics groups. It's, it's actually already begun in that regard with the precursors that are singling this movie out in many ways. The question is, will they be able to do for this film what, what they could not do for The Farewell last year, which ended up pulling a goose egg on Oscar nomination morning with zero nominations? That's the big question here. Ooh. I genuinely don't know, which is so annoying. When I saw it at Sundance, I remember saying, and this is pre-COVID, this is like pre-everything. I remember saying out loud, that was a great movie. It's going to be probably one of my favorite films of the year. 
It reminds me so much of The Farewell right now, maybe because I saw both of them at Sundance. Both of them are A24 films. Both of them are in uh, another language and also in English. Both of them have a well-known star at the front and center. Uh, Both of them have a grandma character. Both of them center on family. Like, all these things I kept saying. So it was inevitable for me to just be like, yeah, critics are going to love this. And then when we get to the Oscars, it's going to get zero nominations. I'm really sorry. You know, that's just and I just had this cynical mindset about it until the year played out the way the year played out. And here we are. And I am trying so hard to fight against my cynical self. And I really, really, really want to proclaim that Minari is going to get picture screenplay Yun Jung and score on its best day because I really really do not think that I, I I don't think there is a world where Steven Yun also comes along I just I can't see that happening I think that category is way too crowded yeah I I thought that he had a shot around the fifth slot but uh, you know the rise of Riz Ahmed I think knocks Yun out yeah I mean like he's still there I don't want to discount him fully but at the same time, I think that the buzz is going to go to Yo Yo Jung and supporting actress, which is very wide open right now. And I think that, I mean, if you're not putting Emil Masari's score on your ballot this year, I don't know. I, I can't help you. I don't want to know you. Like, <laughs> that's the case. Like, really, this thing is so beautiful. And it may not, you know, have the most tracks or the most different melodies of any score this year, but it locks into something that is so magical mm-hmm. <laughs> and that fits the tone of the film. So it basically sets the tone of the film. Yep. Does what a score is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that, like, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of buzz right now is going over to Yoon Yoon Jung, where I do hear that people are saying that she's the film's best shot. But I actually think the screenplay is the film's best shot. Yeah. <laughs> just there are so say, many contenders in original yeah. screenplay, though. Like, I would is, say Score's best shot. That would be my number one. Mm. But I could also see I could also see screenplay get in. I I It's so hard. Like, it will get. Somewhere between zero and four nominations. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like literally any one of those numbers in any of those categories is possible. I could really see this be a sort of picture, but it gets in nowhere else. We haven't had that happen yet. And this is a film that very well could be the first. It, It really could just because the other below the line categories were so strong. But I imagine that if, I can't imagine people not seeing this and not putting it in their top whatever. Well, that's the key, I think, right there, is how much is A24 pushing to get this scene? Because this is not a case of advertising on billboards. This is not a case of doing as many in-person events. All you got to do is get a virtual screening uh, put together and just send that out to as many people as you know that have the ability to vote, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you just yeah. gotta, it's it's hard to build word of mouth these days, but this is, I feel like this is the kind of movie that does build word of mouth. I also think it's benefited from having good word of mouth since Sundance, so like, in a way, yeah. it has built up that word of mouth, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's about it building it up in Hollywood, though, not mm-hmm. on the film Twitter. 
it's, yeah. you know, for best picture, you need number one votes. And to get number one votes, you need passion. And I can see people being very passionate about this film. I agree. I would not have agreed with you if COVID-19 uh, didn't happen, if I'm being completely honest. I think it would have gotten muscled out. Yeah. But I do believe that there is a pathway for it, and I do believe that the passion is there. Now, like I said, I think what it really just comes down to is how many eyes can A24 get on this thing? Yep. It always is with A24. Yeah. I'll admit, I have very little faith in them, but I'm I'm pulling for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you this, Alan Kim is in, like, all of my youth performances lineups this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. All right. Well, I'll do it here for our review of Minari here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Lauren, where can I find you on the internet? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Dan Bear? You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Tom O'Brien. And please join me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me in Next Best Picture Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Minari here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you are feeling generous and want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback and the support. And if you want to take that one step further, you can head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.